Well, it's winter, and Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's been making some outrageous claims. He said, I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, I'm the good shepherd, and now, in John 10.30, he crosses the line. Before Abraham was what? Come on now, God's people, you know it. Before Abraham was, I am. And at that, everyone understands Jesus is claiming to be God. And so they did what first century Jews do when they heard someone committing blasphemy. They pick up the heaviest bricks and rocks within arm's reach and ready themselves to stone him. Jesus sees this. He doesn't walk it back. He doesn't plead for his life. Instead, he asks them a question. Have you read your Bibles lately? Maybe Psalm 82.6? Your own scriptures call people gods. So why are you going to kill me for claiming to be God? It's a fascinating exchange, but I want to draw your attention to something Jesus says that isn't even his main point. It's, it's almost an aside, but it's a theologically massive life-altering aside. See it in John 10, 34. Jesus said to them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. You say of him whom the Father has consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? just want you to see it there in verse 35. Scripture cannot be broken. This morning is week two of our, in our series, God Wrote a Book. And to be honest, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this series because what we typically do at Vertical Church is we actually study God's word line by line, verse by verse. And in this series, we're pulling aside for a couple weekends to clarify what the lines and the verses actually are. And the reason we're doing that is so that when we return and begin to swim in the scriptures again as a church family every single weekend, we will do so with greater confidence and clarity as to what the lines and the verses are. So where should we start in our second sermon on the Bible? Well, we need to start where Jesus starts. In fact, we need to start with Jesus. Remember, we don't trust in Jesus because we trust the Bible. We trust the Bible because we trust in Jesus. Our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus, the one and only person we believe raised from the dead and thus proved to be the Son of God. So if we're we're talking about sexuality or politics or life, or the Bible, the only relevant question there is, is what did Jesus think? And we just saw in John 10, 35, see it again, Jesus thought the scripture cannot be broken. According to Jesus, the Bible has not, is not, and cannot be broken. And if he's the Lord, he's right. And if he's not right, he's not the Lord. And so the stakes could not be higher, you guys. The deity of Jesus, 
the integrity of the gospel, your eternal hope and salvation stands or falls on this question, is the Bible broken? The most common reasons people think the Bible is broken, number one, you hear all the time, it's filled with contradictions, right? It's filled with contradictions. How, how can you believe the Bible, man? It can't even, doesn't even agree with itself. Number two, it's filled with historical errors. Don't you know that? Come on, man, you can't trust the Bible. It's been historically disproven. How about this one? It's been scientifically disproven. People changed it throughout the centuries. We studied that last week. It's just another religious book. Why give, give your life to that? It's just another religious book. Today, we're going to see that none of these statements can be objectively maintained. And 1,989 years after Jesus claimed the scripture cannot be broken, the scripture remains undefeated. This morning, guys, we're going to look at some evidences that this book right here is supernaturally special because God wrote it, and this book is not broken. Let's start with some external evidence. Again, I want you just to lean in. You guys are smart enough to lean in for 30 minutes and stick with me because we're going deep again today. External evidences of the Bible, at a minimum, one has to acknowledge the Bible's preeminence among literature. Preeminence means uh, superiority or incomparability. Even if you don't accept that the Bible is God's word, it's an irrefutable point that the Bible stands alone when compared to every other writing or book. It's not like the Bible is on top. The Bible is just different. First, you could say, we could say it's different because of its circulation. The Bible is preeminent in circulation. The Bible has been read by more people in more languages than any other book in human history, and it's not even close. The entire Bible, all 66 books, has been translated into 704 languages as of 2022, and just the New Testament or portions of the Bible have been translated into another 1,500 languages. Many of these languages didn't even have a written form until someone came, learned the language, developed a dictionary, wrote it down. Why? To translate the Bible into it. In just the last five years, the Bible Society has distributed 1.8 billion copies of God's Word. The Gideons are distributing 70 million copies of the Bible every year. If you're doing the math, that's two and a half Bibles per second, every day, night and day, 365 days a year. In comparison, the Book of Mormon has about 120 million copies published. Uh, the Quran has about 800 million copies of the Bible, uh, of, of the Quran. The Bible has five and a half billion copies published and in existence today. Whereas the Quran and the, the Book of Mormon are available to about 10, maybe 20% of the world's population, today the Bible is available to over 90% of the world's population. The Bible is preeminent in its circulation. Number two, the Bible is preeminent in its influence. More books have been written about the Bible than any other subject, and more authors have quoted the Bible than any other source. 
Christian apologist Bernard Rahm writes, from the apostolic fathers dating from AD 95 to modern times, there is one great literary river inspired by the Bible. Bible dictionaries, Bible encyclopedias, Bible lexicons, Bible atlases, Bible geographies, this may be taken as a starter. Then at random, we may mention the vast bibliographies around theology, religious education, hymnology, missions, and biblical languages, church history, religious biography, devotional works, commentaries, philosophy of religion, evidences, apologetics, and on and on. There seems to be an endless number. Again, none of this means that this is God's word. It just means at a minimum, we have to acknowledge that no book has shaped more cultures or more people or produced more content than the Bible. Number three, the Bible is preeminent among religious writings. You say, what about the Quran? What about the Book of Mormon? What about the Eastern religions? Professor M. Montero Williams was the, the Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit at Oxford University during the late latter half of the 19th century. He spent 42 years studying the books of the East, uh, Eastern religions, and comparing them to the Bible, he wrote, pile them, if you will, on the left side of your study Bible, of your study table, but place your own holy Bible on the right side, all by itself, all alone, and with a wide gap between them. For there is a gulf between it and the so-called sacred books of the East, which serves the one, severs the one from the other utterly, hopelessly, and forever. Literarily, the Bible is preeminent. No other book in any other place, by any other author, from any other generation, compares to the circulation or the sheer influence as the Bible. Again, this doesn't prove that it's divine. It just means that you can't casually dismiss it, right? I mean, even if you're not a Christian and you have no intention of becoming a Christian, just as a human who wants to be somewhat knowledgeable, why not take the time to at least read one time the single book that has been more influential, has been read by more people, has shaped more cultures and countries than any other writing in human history. Love it or hate it, the Bible is preeminent among literature. But secondly, an evidence that this book is just special is its preservation throughout the centuries. We did a deep dive into biblical preservation last week. I just want to reemphasize a few things because, uh, in my mind, some of the most convincing proofs that this book is just different, miraculously different, is its preservation throughout the centuries. One, the Bible has preserved through the attacks of man. This book is and always has been under attack by people who are making it their lives to discredit it. And this isn't coming from a make-believe persecution complex that so many Americans tend to have. It's undeniable. No other book has been so burned and banned as the Bible. From Roman emperors to communist leaders to college campuses, this book has always been under attack. Now go to any state school and you won't find many critiquing the Quran. Google critical scholarship on the Book of Mormon or the Veda or the Tapitika, you're not going to find a lot. You'll find some, but go to any state school and you're going to find professors on professors attacking the Bible. Google critical scholarship on the Bible and you will have hundreds of thousands of pages 
to read. Why is this the case? Because God wrote only one book. And apart from the regenerating spirit, we are haters of God. And so we hate this book because we know this thing smells of God. It reveals God's high and holy standard. It convicts us of our pet sins. It levels our pride. It calls us to repent. And so as a human race, we abhor this thing. Voltaire, the French Enlightenment philosopher, famously predicted that Christianity would be destroyed within 100 years of his lifetime and that the only place you would find a Bible would be in a museum. Instead, here's a picture of the Voltaire Museum. If you go to Geneva... You can pay 20 bucks and go see the few remaining letters and paintings of Voltaire. And amazingly, 50 years after Voltaire's death in 1778, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house because he had a, a printing press, one that he used to print critiques of the Bible, and they bought his house to use his printing press to print thousands of copies of the Bible. That's stone cold, man. And I wouldn't be shocked if there, I mean, I would be shocked if one person in this room could articulate a single sentence from Voltaire. And yet, what are we all holding today? The grass withers, French philosophers fade, but the word of God stands forever. No other book has been so banned and burned as the Bible, and yet it has not been broken by the attacks of man. Another external evidence that I just think is supernatural, it's the only word I have for it, is how the Bible has been preserved through time. Now again, if you weren't here last week, I I encourage you to listen to the message last week. We did a 35-minute deep dive into this point alone, so I'm not going to belabor this here, but I just want to reemphasize that if we look at the ancient manuscripts, there are two things uh, textual critics are looking at. How many copies do we have and how long of a gap between the original copy and the first manuscript we have? Most of us were forced to read Plato. Um, We have seven manuscripts from Plato. And the earliest one comes some 1,200 years after Plato died. You don't have an idea. None of us have an idea of what Plato ever said. And yet, have you ever heard anyone ever question the authorship of Plato? If we look at the contemporary writings of the New Testament, we have 10 copies of the works of Julius Caesar, Um, Almost everything we know about Roman, ancient Roman um, society comes from Tacitus. We have 20 copies of Tacitus. The average classical Greek author has less than 15 copies still in existence and on an average about 500 years after, uh, about 500 years between the original and the first copy. By far the most attested ancient writing is Homer's Iliad. We have 643 copies of the Iliad. Uh, but the earliest one comes 500 years after the original. Now, remind me, church family, how many copies of the New Testament do we have? Does anyone remember? 26,000. We have 6,000 in Greek, we have 10,000 in Latin, and we have 10,000 more in languages like Coptic and Syriac. Some of them dating 10 to 15 years when the original was written. And that's not to even mention the over one million quotations of the ancient New Testament we have in the Patristic Fathers. 
pastors of that time quoting the Bible, writing down the Bible for themselves. Frederick G. Kenyon, one of the greatest authorities in the field of New Testament textual criticism, writes, it cannot be too strongly asserted that in substance the text of the Bible is certain. The number of manuscripts, of early translations from it, of quotations from it in the oldest writers of the church is so large that it's practically certain that the true reading of every doubtful passage is preserved in one or another of these ancient authorities. This can be said of no other book in the world. Think what you will of this book, but Jesus said it cannot be broken. And for 2,000 years, neither the attack of man or the elapse of time has been able to break the Bible. Another external evidence that this book is just different is proof from archaeology. For hundreds of years, people said King Solomon never existed until we found his seal. For hundreds of years, they said, dude, King David never existed. Then we found his name written in one stone dated to, surprise, surprise, the year of his reign. Then people said, hey, the Canaanites, they never existed. Then we found a bull that the Canaanites worshipped. William Albright, one of the greatest archaeologists of his day and someone who wasn't even a Christian, wrote, There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of Old Testament tradition. The excessive skepticism shown toward the Bible by important schools, uh, the important historical schools of the 18th and 19th centuries has been progressively discredited. Discovery after discovery has established the accuracy of innumerable details and has brought increased recognition to the value of the Bible as a source of history. In seminary, I was shook because I read a book and it said, um, Moses was certainly not the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now that's a problem because Jesus said, Moses wrote Genesis. So if, if Jesus got that wrong, Jesus is not God. And this whole thing is, is over. Just pack it up and go home. The book said that Moses, who lived about 1400 BC, could not have possibly written Genesis because in 14 BC, written language wasn't even a thing yet. Written language wasn't developed until hundreds of years after Moses. People said that until we found the Ebla tablets. The Ebla tablets are a compilation of nearly 20,000 written records dating to 1,000 years before Moses. And when they translated them, which took a while, you can imagine, they found that many of the laws and the punishments in the books of Moses actually paralleled the legal thinking of the day. This week, I was just blown away as I'm studying some archaeological confirmation that's happening right now. Guys, listen to this. In 2020 alone, we found a 15-foot rock carving depicting an Assyrian king dated to the time of the Assyrians, an outpost of the king of Geshur dated to 1000 BC, exactly when the Bible says he was king, a trove of artifacts used in Canaanite worship dated to the 12th century BC when the Bible says the Canaanites existed, a church in Laodicea confirming Revelation 3 that there were churches in Laodicea, and the remains of King Manasseh's palace dated to, shocker, the reign of King Manasseh. That was in 2020, and they took half the year off due to COVID. 
Archaeologists, archaeologists estimate, this is crazy, that less than 2% of the existing archaeological digs in the Holy Land have been fully excavated at this time. Less than 2%. 2,000 years later, we have discovered thousands and thousands of biblical artifacts, and not one has broken the Bible. God wrote a book, and it remains undefeated. We could go on for weeks on the external evidence, but let's look internally because there's evidence within the Bible that reveals that the Bible is just different. First this, the amazing agreement of the Bible. It's hard for us to feel the wonder of this because all we have ever known is that the scriptures are bound together in a single book. But guys, for hundreds of years, this was not the case. The Bible was written by 40 different authors who could not be more different from one another. Shepherds who had no money and kings who had all the money. Politicians and priests and peasants and prophets. And none of them even knew each other or even knew about each other because the scriptures were written on three different continents over 1,500 years, writing about the two things no one agrees on, politics and religion. And I mean, guys, I mean, just feel that. We couldn't get 40 people in this church to agree on politics and religion. And we live in the same time, in the same city. We speak the same language, generally come from the same background, same education, same jobs, same church. And we can't agree on these things. So how do you get 40 people from different walks of life, in different cultures, in different centuries, who have no knowledge of one another, to agree on, listen, everything? The only way you pull that off is if there's a single author miraculously writing behind all of these people. And we're going to talk about that in the next message. Another internal proof is, is that this Bible is just different, is its total consistency. And here you might say, okay, what about the contradictions, man? There's contradictions all over the Bible. Next time someone say, says that, just gently say, name one. Can you name? I mean, if the Bible's full of contradictions, it should be really easy to come up with one. A contradiction is something that breaks the law of non-contradiction. A cannot be both A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. A contradiction is two assertions that cannot be true at the same time and in the same way. And what you'll find with all supposed contradictions in the Bible is that they're not contradictions. They can be fairly easily explained, in fact. One, often you're, you're going to hear about supposed contradictions of the message. I've actually heard someone say, well, in the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But in the New Testament, it says turn the other cheek. I smile at that one because Jesus spoke directly to it, Matthew 5, 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, whoever slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other. That's not a contradiction. That doesn't break the law of non-contradiction. The church has always believed the Bible to be progressive revelation, updating to the ways of Jesus. So right now, my children aren't allowed to even sit in my driver's seat. One day, they'll be allowed to sit in the driver's seat, but not drive. And then one day, they're going to be allowed to both sit in my driver's seat and drive for real. That's not a parental contradiction. Parenting progresses with the development of the children. 
and biblical revelation progresses with the development of God's children. You guys have to know the cultures that this Bible was written to, Genesis. These people were orcs. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I only say it half-jokingly. These people were eating each other. These people were raping and pillaging everyone. And so in great patience, God says, okay, I'm going to give you my will in my way at a pace that you can handle. So I don't just modify your behavior, but I actually transform your hearts. Number two, there's supposed contradictions of the numbers. For example, in Mark and Luke, it says there were two blind men healed at Jericho, but in Matthew, it says that one blind man was healed in Jericho. Now again, are those statements mutually exclusive? No, Matthew and Mark don't say only one blind man was healed in Jericho. Apparently, two blind men were healed in Jericho. Matthew wanted to exclusively focus on the story of one, the only one that spoke. If I tell you, um, I took my kids to the mall the other day, and McRae fell in the fountain, which is just a given at this point. If I pull you aside and say, hey, I took McRae to the mall the other day, and he fell into a fountain, is that a contradiction? No. As the storyteller, I'm just focusing on the story I want to tell. This happens all the time in the Bible. Number three, there's supposed parallel story contradictions. The most common one you'll hear is Matthew 27, Judas hanged himself, but in Acts 1, it says Judas fell headlong and burst open. Again, is that a contradiction? Is there any possible scenario in which both those claims can be true? you've ever gone to the Valley of Hinnom where it happened, you're going to see trees hanging over the edge of the cliffs and then jagged rocks underneath. Apparently, Judas hanged himself and either immediately or after a prolonged period, the branch broke. Judas's body fell and burst open on the rocks below. Matthew's describing what Jesus did, uh, what Judas did. Acts is describing how he was found. It's not a contradiction. The Bible isn't broken. God wrote a book, and it remains undefeated. But maybe you're sitting here going, man, I'm still not convinced. Well, then we have to look at fulfilled prophecy. Maybe the most convincing eternal, internal evidence is fulfilled prophecy. A thousand years before Jesus was born, Psalm 72 said kings would bring him gifts and bow down. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 7 said it would be born of a virgin. Micah 5 says it would take place in Bethlehem. Biblical scholars debate how many messianic prophecies are actually in the Bible. Uh, Some say up to 300. The most conservative scholars say 50. Let's just say eight. Let's say eight because a team of mathematicians, unbelieving mathematicians, calculated that the odds of eight messianic Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth is one in 10 to the 17th power or one in 100,000 trillion. In their book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner and Robert Newman said that that number is like taking the whole state of Texas, covering it with silver dollars two feet deep, 
taking a blindfolded person and telling them, him or her, to wade into the miles and miles of money and bend down and pick up the one and only silver dollar that you marked with a red dot. That's eight. How about 50? What's the number for 300? You guys, the Bible is just different. As we just scratch the surface of both external and internal evidence, the most skeptical observer, if they're intellectually honest, must conclude at a minimum there's something special about this book. Looking at the preeminence among literature, the preservation through the centuries, the proof from the archaeology, the amazing agreement internally, the total consistency, the fulfilled prophecy, it's not a leap of faith to say this book is supernaturally special. This book is a miracle. But if you're still not convinced, I wonder if you'd consider the experiential evidence of tens of millions of people throughout the centuries. Experiential evidence. For thousands of years, millions and millions and millions of people have found this book to be gripping. The Bible is gripping. My own stories, I couldn't read at all. My parents did everything they could to help me. My mom would read to me. My dad bought me uh, Hooked on Phonics, which was a learn-to-read program that was huge like 20 years ago. And I'm a twin, and I remember we would both go to after-school programs. He would go to an accelerated learning program, and I would go to special ed. And in that moment, going to special ed, I just decided in my heart, I hate reading. I can't do it. And through elementary school and middle school and high school, I never read a book unless it was assigned. And if it, I, would, I was like a spark notes guy all the time, all the way. And then Jesus saved me. And the only way I can describe it is Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. I remember when I first got saved, I'd just sit upstairs and just read hours upon hours of the Bible. Guys, haven't you found the Bible to be gripping? Haven't you experienced with the disciples experience on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus when Jesus opened the book, they looked at one another and said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures? How do you get a book that burns in the hearts of every culture, in every generation, on every continent, and in every language? What bestseller can do that? I visited the Maasai people out in the bush of Africa and I, they weren't huddled around Harry Potter. They weren't like, huzzah. Instead, I did see people who could not be more different than us, huddled around the very same book, gripped by the very same words. The only way you get a book to grip every culture in every generation is if that book was written by God. Secondly, raise your Bible up in the air or your phone Bible. If you've experienced this book to be comforting, have you experienced this book to be comforting? 
When my mom passed away, this book became and moved from just being letters on a page to a lifeline to my soul. And as the waves of grief surged and the warm winds of the word came, they just continually calmed me and comforted me. As a pastor, I've been at the side of people's deathbed during their final moments. And to this day, no one has ever mustered up enough strength and said, would you just read to me 50 shades of gray one more time? Instead, the request is always the same. Give me the scripture. Why? Because there's something about this book that has comforted the discouraged and the downcast and the dying for thousands of years. Only a book that God wrote could do that. Raise your Bible up in the air if you found this book to be convicting. Anyone found this book to be convicting? Yes. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, I know you're not where you want to be in your walk with the Lord. I know you're not a finished product, but have you ever just stopped to consider how much this book has already influenced your life? I mean, it's changed the way you spend your money. It's changed the way you spend your time. Look where you are right now. It's helped you forgive people that you don't want to forgive. It's caused you to love people that are not super lovely. It's caused you to act against the most intense, natural desires of your heart. Your entire life has been influenced and directed by this book already. So again, certainly the Lord of the Rings left an indelible mark on all of us and who's ever gonna forget green eggs and ham? But how do you get a book to change the trajectory of millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of lives in every culture and in every generation? How do you get a book to do that unless God wrote that book? Lastly, lift up your Bible if you found your Bible to be freeing. Yeah, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I've watched firsthand this book free people from addiction, from depression. I've seen timid, fearful people become ferocious in faith. I've seen angry, resentful people become tender and soft. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen entire family trees redirected and redeemed. This book has ignited movements and ended injustices and planted churches and sparked revivals and transformed cities and led people to Jesus who set them free. How do you get a book to set free millions upon millions of people from every culture in every generation? Only if God wrote that book. Y'all, God wrote a book. We call it the Bible, and the Bible is not broken. The Bible has not, is not, and cannot be broken. Just as Jesus promised, the Bible remains undefeated.
means God wants to use it in your life to grip you, to comfort you, to convict you.